Hello, hello, and welcome to another episode of Nonsense and Noise. I'm a little crisp around the edges because I actually uh, got back from the beach a couple hours ago and found out that I managed to miss spraying sunscreen on my shoulders and my back and the top half of my chest, so I am a, a, I'm a chicky tendy right now. Did I introduce myself already? I don't think I did. I am the Chicky Tendy, Nathan. So, yeah, without further ado, I guess (laughs) let's get into this episode. Last week, I talked about masculinity in Shang-Chi and how the movie handles and talks about masculinity and how it paints a picture of really a, a new sort of nuanced form of masculinity that we haven't really seen in the MCU so far, in my personal opinion, masculinity that is both forceful and gentle, sort of balancing what is traditionally masculine and what is traditionally feminine, and taking those hand in hand and moving forward with that. And so this week is, I'm sure folks are super excited to hear about, the topic is romance and the either presence or lack thereof in Shang-Chi. Um, and specifically romance as it relates to um, the character Shang-Chi himself. So in terms of the movie and who actually gets the romance in the movie, it is limited really only to Wen Wu and Ying Li, the um, parents of Shang-Chi. Shang-Chi, neither Shang-Chi nor Katie nor Xiaoling get any sort of romance. There's really no other relationship that is highlighted in the movie, which for me was kind of strange, given uh, the fact that most other Marvel superhero movies actually do have a romance or love interest for the leading character, especially when it's a man. You have Peggy Carter for Steve Rogers, and then when it comes to uh, Black Panther, you have Nakia for uh, T'Challa. For Spider-Man, you have Mary Jane, and then I guess Guardians of the Galaxy, you have Gamora for Peter Quill. And uh, I'm trying to really, I'm trying to think of the MCU movies that I've seen and remembered, and it's not the list is not long because I'm not an active MCU participant. This is truly the first and only movie where I've fallen into this world, and so as a result, my personal knowledge and repertoire is fairly low. But like, also when you compare it to other movies, I mean, even Carol Danvers in Captain Marvel, like she has a love interest in Monica Rambeau. Is it explicitly stated that? Monica is is Carol's romantic interest? No, but like the chemistry is there and like that strong friendship and that strong bond between Carol and Monica is what really ties them together and like I know I left that movie thinking like yeah, Carol and Monica like they're their thing. Like that's the reason why Monica was so shaken and so upset after Carol had disappeared and why she was overjoyed to see Carol back. And obviously, if you have lost your memories, it's very, very jarring to come back to meeting a basically a complete stranger and and thinking, okay, why are you acting so familiar to me and acting like, you know, in a very intimate manner? So yeah, pretty much every Marvel hero has had a love interest in their stories. And so 
it's very interesting that Shang-Chi actually doesn't have a confirmed love interest for his origin story. You know, Shang-Chi fits the mold in terms of other Marvel superheroes. He has his shirtless scene and showing off his physique, and he's charming, he's handsome, he can hold his own both in battle and then also just, you know, as a, as a character. And he's got plenty of chemistry with Katie, portrayed by Aquafina, and they do come across to me as friends, and more on that later, but like there's, you know, there's no shortage of scenes in the movie where Shang-Chi and Katie are touching, whether it be like leaning together or, or just like casual body contact. And, you know, Shang-Chi obviously cares for Katie a lot, given the fact that she's his oldest friend and like seems like his only friend really who he hangs out with on the regular basis um and they have they work together Shang-Chi goes to her house for meals regularly it seems like her mom knows him her grandma knows him her brother knows him so they have a lot of emotional connection too and i think the movie starts to highlight this once they're on the plane together Katie's you know upset understandably about him having lied to her about his past and who he really is and yeah so she's you know she angrily demands to come with him to China and they travel together throughout the entire movie and sure Katie is the comic relief of this movie but also she plays this important role of being the love interest for the main character or so it seems. The most tender moment that they share together in the entire movie is at the end during the lantern scene where the people of Talo release the lanterns onto the lake to symbolize more or less letting go the spirits of the dead. Shang-Chi releases a lantern for both his mother and his father, and then he and Katie lean against each other, and it's very, it's very tender, it's very intimate, and it gives a lot of the same vibes as the ending of Pacific Rim, where Mako and Raleigh do more or less the same thing, the the nice little head bump. They don't have to kiss and it doesn't feel forced or strained or anything because, at least in the Pacific Rim movie, right, there is the concept of being drift compatible and what that actually means in terms of, you know, being more or less directly implanted into your drift partner's mind right that that's a obviously the most intimate you can get and so raleigh and mako's physical connection at the end of pacific rim may not appear more than platonic but it did sure feel more than platonic and that's how i read the ending of shang chi when with the lantern scene it's tender and there's connection and does it have the possibility to become more than platonic it sure does and that is cool and it's interesting that shang chi as a movie never leans into katie as a romantic interest because she's there and she is obviously an option and as i mentioned before there's a lot of connection that shang chi has to Katie, both in terms of their physical comfort around each other and their emotional comfort around each other. And further building the case for emotional intimacy, there is a scene where Shang-Chi is telling Katie about 
the man that he killed, and it really does seem like he is about to cry in front of her and basically show a semblance of vulnerability to Katie, which ultimately we don't get, and I was personally kind of disappointed that we didn't get that because I think that development would have made the emotional growth and really sold the emotional intimacy between the two characters that much more. And it's ultimately okay that they didn't, because I think, at least to me, that shows that Marvel may be saving up another character for Shang-Chi to be in a relationship with. And yeah, it's, it's just interesting that there was no real romance throughout the movie. And we can view this one way or the other. I, th I personally feel like it's a sticky situation to be in because on one hand, pushing Shang-Chi and Katie together feels very heteronormative to me. I, I think that, like, I personally think that their relationship throughout the entire movie is more akin to siblings. Katie ends up being sort of Shang-Chi's adoptive sister and Katie's family ends up more or less adopting Shang-Chi as shown when they're eating breakfast, and Katie's grandma asks when they're getting married, and so obviously there's a lot of history and connection between the two. So there's a strong case for Katie being Shang-Chi's love interest, but also, as I mentioned, it's just quite heteronormative. But also, on the other hand, it's very weird to have Shang-Chi play this sort of desexualized role. Interestingly enough, when he has his shirtless scene, Shang-Chi doesn't score a great victory. It's when he's fighting against Xiaoling in the Golden Daggers, and he loses. It's not pretty, and it's not a point of pride. It's very much for entertainment, and his physique is sort of just there to be eye candy and say, like, oh, you know, sure, this... Asian American character is also, you know, is also physically attractive because he's got a great chest, he's got great abs and arms and everything. And I mean, I could wax poetic about Simu's body forever, um, and we'll do that probably a little bit later in the episode. But yeah, basically, this shirtless scene is not held in really the same sort of triumph as other scenes where Marvel heroes are showing off their physiques. The one that comes most strikingly to mind for me is from Captain America where Steve emerges from taking the serum and you know Chris Evans is jacked and that scene Peggy Carter is about to touch him because she's just freaking amazed and I mean if I if I was if I met up with a guy and his chest was that big and you know I would be like is this real? I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna touch it, but I also like don't want to touch it because you know it kind of would ruin the illusion of everything, and you know it's easier to live in a fantasy than it is a reality sometimes. But yeah, that's like that scene is very triumphant. It's like look, this is a scientific success in terms of the serum and it working, and. Steve's body is regarded as such. You know, granted, Steve came from being a a very spindly little little man, and so him transforming into the super soldier that he is, you know, that, that has a different implication, and that's sort of a, a different context. But it's interesting to 
contrast those two sort of situations. The other one that I can think of is when T'Challa is fighting Killmonger when they do their sort of like power down battle in Black Panther. Both both T'Challa and Killmonger are stripped down and both of them are shirtless and it's ultimately not a scene of success for T'Challa obviously but even so that that sort of strength is more or less it's a victory for one of the characters when when they're in that state so in this part in that particular example Killmonger is victorious and I think at another point T'Challa is shirtless again and he does have a moment of victory and so yeah it's very interesting to juxtapose all of these shirtless scenes with Shang-Chi's shirtless scene which is sort of more like okay we're throwing this in to sort of give Simu his time in the sun and show off his hard work but ultimately Shang-Chi doesn't win that fight you know whether or not it's a disappointment is up to the viewer i think like it's obviously necessary for the story because it shows shang chi's relationship to his sister and what his sister thinks and everything so like i think it's like ultimately important but it's very interesting that it's not in a triumphant way it's kind of just like Oh yeah, we're showing this we're we're just going to do this because this is part of the formula. So now given all of this context, I want to posit the theory that Shang-Chi might become a queer superhero. As I mentioned, there's been a lot of emotional development that he's had over the course of his movie in terms of how he talks to Katie and how he develops just as a person in terms of embracing both his father's raw power and might and also coupling it with the gentleness and strength from his mother's side of the family and Talo in general. So there's been a lot of emotional development and growth there, and I think it would be really cool if, at least in terms of the emotional build for the for his confession of of killing a man, you know, if if we get him breaking down with another queer character, whether that be a man or a trans character or you know a non-binary character, I think that would be really darn cool for Marvel to have. They're probably not going to do that because Marvel is Marvel and a part of Disney and there are certain markets that they are trying to make sure that they are still able to reach and by explicitly declaring a character as queer, um, it sort of rules out their ability to succeed in some markets, not necessarily because of the people um, in those receiving markets as much as just the sort of officiation or like the regulation of culture that comes into certain countries. And that we can kind of see with the way that Carol and Monica weren't explicitly 
put into a relationship, even though, like I said, I, I think they are together, at least in the MCU. I'm not sure about the comics because I do not go there, so I do not have any sort of jurisdiction there. But like in terms of other media that's done it as well, I think the only the main piece of media that stands out to me is Overwatch. Overwatch is a video game that is created by Activision Blizzard, and Activision Blizzard is owned in some part by a Chinese company. And so as a result, when there were announcements about certain characters being LGBTQ, there was not really any official sort of in-game announcement. It was all announced via social media and in spin-off media. So for those who don't know, the two characters that are gay from Overwatch are Tracer, who's the sort of icon for the franchise. She's she's a British um, character, a British woman, um, and she identifies as lesbian. And then the other gay character is Jack Morrison, who is the leader of Overwatch, and he's just this white American dude. And at least for Jack, his backstory and him being gay was released through a novella. And as a result, it's very easy for Blizzard to export its product to other countries where homophobia may be the norm or LGBTQ relationships might be either illegal or just very frowned upon and they can say hey look we've got these characters they're not gay because we don't say so in the game there are cosmetic items that have some connection to these characters being queer but they are not explicitly mentioned as such tracer has a spray of her girlfriend emily and it's called i think the spray is called emily but there's no mention about you know like girlfriend or anything um she's a couple voice lines about emily as well but they're pretty innocuous it's very much like oh maybe i should get emily something and for at least the censors or like people going through the media with a fine tooth comb it's very easy to say like oh she just said emily and it wasn't like oh what should i get my girlfriend and this is done very very well or i guess you could say for jack in that He's got a spray with his with the man that he used to have a relationship with, and they're posed in a way that is friendly. You know, they've got their hands around each other's shoulders, but there's no explicit mention of the fact that Jack is gay. So that's sort of the business world that Marvel's operating in. So taking risks and announcing that a character or a superhero in their universe might be gay sort of at least for them from a business standpoint is very much hamstringing their opportunities so it's pretty unlikely that Shang-Chi is going to get a queer love interest but I certainly hope he does I think it would be a really cool way to continue painting a new picture of what masculinity means for the American public especially and other I guess quote-unquote western countries just re-examining what masculinity means and what strength means because you know the number one sort of 
quibble when it comes to portraying LGBTQ relationships, especially when they center men, is like, oh, like, one of them takes it up the ass and that's not very manly or whatever. Or, like, there's the other, there's the media stereotype where, like, if a character is gay, they are usually flamboyant, they're very well-dressed, they're, they're more feminine. And there's truly no judgment. There's no fault in being a feminine and flamboyant gay man. Absolutely not. Like there, that's, there's absolutely no judgment and there's nothing wrong with that. And also at the same time, that is the stereotype that has been marketed in media. And I know, at least for me, I don't tend to really identify with that. My first character that I can think of in terms of like good, quote unquote, good representation for a queer Asian American character is, uh, or really Asian American Pacific Islander character, is Danny Mahalani from Teen Wolf, who's played by Kahu Kahunui. He just happens to be gay, and he's a lacrosse player at the high school in Teen Wolf. This is MTV's Teen Wolf, mind you, not the original movie Teen Wolf. But yeah, he's an athlete. He's kind of a douchebag. He's overall a nice guy, but he's like, kind of a douchebag and he's kind of sweet too uh we see that at the end of i think it was season three i don't remember what happens in that show because i stopped watching due to the writing being shitty and also kind of racist but yeah like danny was just a character and the fact that he was gay was just like it wasn't a big deal. There was no sort of hullabaloo around him coming out, and there were no none of the stereotypical markers pointing to him being gay either. It was just, yeah, Danny likes guys, and he's also a great lacrosse player. He's Jackson's best friend, and because he's Jackson's best friend, he's kind of an asshole. But, like, that's sort of, like, more of the gay representation that I personally want in media. I think it would be really great to have a very feminine, flamboyant character paired up with a character who is, you know, sort of just a guy. And I think, uh, Paranorman, I think, was the movie where they sort of subverted that trope where, like, the jock ends up being gay and it's unexpected but then it's also kind of used as a punchline so obviously there are respectful ways to do that and handle gay characters but all of this to say like i really wish that shang chi could be a queer character and because there's nothing that says he can't be there's also nothing pointing towards him being queer at all and you know that's fine and good because if you've met a queer person in real life, sometimes it's easy to clock queer people because, you know, there's sort of the stereotype about how some queer folks dress, but also, like, at the same time, queer folks are just people. There's not any defining characteristics about us other than, like, who we choose to love. Some queer men don't dress stereotypically gay. They do not dress in tight-fitting clothing and, you know, they're not flamboyant, they don't wear, like, colorful prints, and also, I mean, like, even kind of turning this on its head, there are plenty of heterosexual men who dress in a way that is sort of stereotypically gay, and, you know, there's the whole 
phase before of people being like, oh, you're Metro because you're straight and you dress well and take care of yourself. And it's like, why is that? Why is dressing nicely, doing your hair well, and just like wanting to appear attractive um, or like cleaned up to the general public? Why is that viewed as a gay trait? And I think luckily, at least I haven't heard the term metrosexual used in a very long time. And I'm glad because like, it's dumb. It does not have any place in our lexicon because like, it's not indicative of sexuality if you choose to clean up and not be a stinky, smelly person. Like, it was, it's weird that that was ever tied to sexuality in the first place. But yeah, like, Shang-Chi is kind of a blank slate, and I would love to see that slate turn a little bit more rainbow. I know that I've been coming up with a character in my head with his own superpowers, and he is a shameless self-insert and a way for me to sort of experience the movie and sort of the world of Shang-Chi exclusively. I don't really have any interest in the rest of the MCU because I just don't have that connection and I don't really care to explore that connection any deeper. I just, I like the characters that have been introduced and their stories and I want to explore their stories and their characters specifically and not any of the others. But yeah, like I've created my own character to explore that and this character ends up becoming Shang-Chi's romantic partner and I think it would be really cool to, you know, see that play out on the silver screen and double points if Shang-Chi's partner is an Asian American man because I think ultimately tying this back to the questions and the themes of masculinity and how Shang-Chi works to redefine those I think it would be really refreshing to see as an Asian American man like okay sure we've got the redefinition of masculinity and how embracing both masculinity and femininity is totally fine and in fact quite favorable. It helps with ultimately creating a more human character and you know I think that's a very valuable message and I think it would be really cool to also have part of that be like you know you can be this complex human character and you can also be queer and there's no judgment on that. And, you know, like I said, I think the most important parts are the fact that Shang-Chi doesn't have any, I guess, stereotypical characteristics that point towards him being gay or him being any sort of queer. And I think that would be really cool for Marvel to lean into and say like, okay, well now we've got like truly a blank slate with this character, especially since they fully revamped the character for the movie just really say, hey, we've got a completely blank slate. Let's really play with it and explore and see what we can make happen and what sort of representation we can have. Because I think one thing that I want to see more of between men on screen is emotional intimacy and that sort of tenderness. I think it would be really quite powerful for Shang-Chi to tell his male love interest, his potential male love interest, about how he ended up killing a man, and he breaks down, and he's like, you know, he shows that emotional vulnerability with his partner, because I think the stereotypical male character, or the stereotypical masculine character in cinema, like American cinema in particular, 
there's no shows of emotion. It's just like, I'm this big tough guy and like the emotional range is like happy to mad and like yeah like there is obviously a lot more to the masculine experience that should be included in there in terms of like other feelings like I mean if we're gonna just talk like basic feelings like fear and sadness and grief and like Okay, grief is not, <laughs> grief is, grief is not a basic emotion, but, like, fear and sadness, like, I think that would be, those would be really cool things to explore, and, like, especially in the, in the context of a superhero movie, because, like, we keep getting these movies where the heroes are always brave, and, I mean, that's cool and all, but also, like, it would be really nice to acknowledge the fact that, like, yeah, these characters are human, and they ultimately have the courage to fight their battles in spite of their fear, and that, you know, that I think is commendable, and that is, that's kind of always the case, but I think it would be really cool to really highlight sort of other aspects of just being human. So, ultimately, all of this to say, hopefully Shang-Chi gets a queer romantic partner, that would be really cool, he's a blank slate, Marvel can really do what they want with him, and if they ultimately decide to not continue with Shang-Chi, which would be a a total tragedy, um, I'm willing to take up the mantle and give him a gay love interest myself. I've done more than enough legwork to do that. So that's sort of it for the meat of the conversation. Um, I'm so sorry for this episode being like all business and no real fun. I... I have had a long day, and my weekend has been really interesting, I guess, to say the least. I had the most surreal Friday morning. My friends have already heard about it, and I'm not going to talk too much about what happened, but, like, it is quite strongly connected to Shang-Chi. So, yeah, it's, it's just been a really, really interesting experience, and I think my episode from last week about masculinity in Shang-Chi was actually fairly timely, just given everything that happened with Simu and Reddit and everything. And I, you know, I've done sort of my own in looking and reading and searching for context and everything. I didn't, I didn't search for context by myself. I actually found a Twitter thread that summarized all of the context for a lot of Simu's comments on Reddit and like ultimately Simu is very much in character like still a very earnest person and he doesn't really seem to have had connections to the MR Asian Reddit it was mostly I think the two comments that he made were like plugging his show um, which at the time was Kim's Convenience, and then also answering if his character in Kim's Convenience would have a love interest. So, like, to those who are wondering about Simu and if if he's problematic, at least in that particular aspect, the answer seems to point to no. There are other things that he's done on Twitter. I'm not going to get too much into this um, because that's really not my business, but there are other things that he still should answer for, but, like, ultimately, I, I do think he should at least issue some clarification f- around what Twitter was ablaze about, which was a very poor analogy between 
being gay and pedophilia. Y'all can look into that yourselves, but essentially, like, he was saying that pedophiles need help and they deserve to be viewed as human beings and treated as such and treated with compassion and, you know, ultimately receive treatment for pedophilia so they don't act on that. And I think that is that like that's ultimately what he was getting at. The analogies and his path to getting and like explaining that thought is ultimately like it was clumsy and bad and he like yeah it like it was just clumsy and bad so yeah like I think he should at least say like hey look this was years ago and I don't think that I acknowledge that like my research was like maybe crummy and had some poor sources and the analogy was bad or whatever but like you know, I, I don't know. I think he should release some statement. And now I'm truly just like circling and trying to avoid talking about what happened to me. And I'm going to keep it that way because um, the parties involved don't need their business aired out. Okay, so with all that said, thank you so much for listening to episode four of nonsense and noise hopefully i can talk with some friends and see if people want to guest on the show to sort of bring the energy back up um, and we can talk about maybe we can rehash topics of masculinity and romance again or maybe we talk about others um, i know that i want to um, there are a couple other topics that i want to talk about before maybe branching into other subjects so purely if you're interested in guesting on the show please feel free to reach out to me via the nonsense and noise email uh that is nonsense and noise pod at gmail.com and man i don't remember if i said this up top but um i'm nathan and the host of nonsense and noise podcast and you can find me on instagram and twitter at kato not kato spelled k-a-h-t-o-n-o-t k-a-y-t-o and if you like the pod and would like to support the pod please feel free to drop however much you would like over on the patreon you can search for nonsense and noise on patreon and you should find the same picture that i'm using on my twitter profile and my instagram profile if you want verification there the first tier of subscription gets you a shout out on the podcast so you can listen back to last week's episode for an example of that second tier gets you early access to the podcast episodes i'm trying to maintain a weekly schedule for now so that means you will get pod access on friday instead of saturday and then the highest tier subscription at this point in time offers you topic suggestions so you can actually send me topic suggestions at the nonsense and noise email and i will take them into consideration in doing an episode on them so far i've got a couple suggestions for a couple topics and maybe i will move into those after i sort of exhaust all of what i want to talk about from shang chi but yeah keep your ears peeled that's a weird expression keep keep your eyes out because this is totally a visual medium for those episodes later and in the meantime thank you so much for listening thank you so much for your support and 
tune in next time. Thanks.